Okay there, Saints. Acts chapter 2. told you, you're going to get used to hearing that for a little while as we get through this one chapter. But there's so many layers on this chapter that we do want to make sure that we don't simply skim through, overlook, so that you really understand the fullness of what is happening here in this crucial event that is Pentecost that we also call the birth of the church. And because of that, within the layers of foundations, I think it's important to not rush through this one portion. As we get through here, we'll pick up steam a little bit. Um, but for right now, we're just trying to layer this through. Last week, we looked at what prophecy is in Scripture. Um, so if you missed last week's study, um, I would recommend going back doing that so that the rest of this is layered upon that. If you don't understand biblical prophecy, not what people claim is prophecy, but what the scriptures declare is prophecy, you're going to miss a lot understanding what prophecy is, the, the different layers within prophecy. So let's pray, let's bow our hearts, and let's jump into the, the study here. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to once again glorify you. To once again understand that the plan that you have for one year church. And then in light of that, the plan that you have towards us. We're so grateful, Lord, that this plan has been from eternity. There's nothing new. Nothing surprising you. But this is a working that, that you have been doing. Working that you have planned and working that you're consummating even now within your church, within our hearts. So we do ask, Lord, that tonight give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, where we ended up last week as we went through verses 14 through 16, just using that to step onto that platform of prophecy. The week before we spoke of tongues, and now we're looking at this prophetic word. We looked at last week that Peter is declaring this prophetic word from the prophet Joel being fulfilled partially as a progressive and mid-fulfillment of the eschatological prophetic word. And as we're seeing that now, what I want to do is first, before we even start, I want to read the beginning in verses 14, and I want to read through the prophetic word through verse 21. What we're going to see is that, that Peter is going to be using three passages of the prophetic word in this chapter to fulfill his message to the multitudes that are gathered here on Pentecost for the birth of the church. The one that we're going to look at here tonight is Joel 2 verses, um, or here in, in Acts 2 verses 16 through 21. And then we're going to be looking at um, down the road where in verses 25 through 28, basically Peter is quoting from Psalm 16. It's a prophetic Psalm of David. And then we'll get into verse 34 and verse 35. We're going to be looking at the, the, the passage where it's a quote from Psalm 110 verse 1. So within that, I think it's important for you to recognize what's happening here at this stage. So where we are now, I just want to read through this prophetic word. It begins in verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea 
and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this, verse 16, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we look to this passage for those of you that understand that this is basically a quote from Joel chapter 2. And in order to understand how this prophetic word is used, um, I think it's important to really understand what happens and where the prophet Joel begins to declare. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the prophet of Joel after the major prophets, you go Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then you have Amos. So that's how you'll find him there. And it's interesting that what Joel says in his prophecy is something a little different than what Peter proclaims. Peter simply says, it shall come to pass in the last days, where the prophet Joel says something a little different. He says in Joel 2, verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward. That there are things that have to take place first, and then it shall come to pass. He says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants, and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Verse 30 of Joel 2, I will show wonders in the heavens in and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 32 of Joel 2 continues to say, For in Mount Zion and in the Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So in looking to use Joel's prophecy in Peter's message, I think it's important to understand the fullness of Joel's prophecy. Most of you understand that what is happening is that Joel is trying to speak to the nation Israel, to Judah, to Jerusalem, as far as the devastation that God is allowing to happen to this rebellious nation, and yet intermixed with this prophetic word, 
of what devastation is going to happen, God says, above all things, he desires to bless. And so there's this intermixing of this judgment and the blessing that God desires to give to the children of Israel. One thing that I do want you to be aware of, and just jot this down if you're a note taker, it's an important passage in the, the, the book of Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 makes this declaration. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fastings, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Amazing to see that this is God's heart that he wants to give to the nation Israel. And he just basically he says, I want you to turn. Turn to me with all your heart. And this rending of the heart is, is coming in this place of repentance, not in this place of rebellion. And so you see that difference. Now what has happened in the book of Joel is in the very first chapter, what has happened is that, that Joel speaks of these locusts that are coming to devour. And so he says in verse 4 of chapter 1, what the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten, what the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts have eaten, what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts have eaten. And so we see that there's this point where you have this plague that has come upon the nation and it is a plague of locusts that is simply devouring everything that they have planted. Basically, there, there's no food at all. You've got the chewing locusts and the swarming locusts then the crawling locusts and finally the consuming locusts. So you have these progressive locusts that are consuming everything. And after there's a destruction of all of the fruit of the land... Then, in chapter 2, or in the, the second part of chapter 1, God says, I'm going to bring a drought upon the land. And so we see here that that same issue, because now God begins to say, okay, well, because I've consumed everything through a, 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 the locust, now what's going to happen is there's going to be a drought. And so we notice here where he's trying to tell the, the, the nation of Israel, you've got to come because what's going to happen is this. In verse 17, he says, The seeds shrivel under the clouds. Storehouses are in shambles. Bound, barns are broken down for the grain has withered. And we recognize that there is no water. In verse 19, he says, O Lord, to you I cry out for the fire has devoured the open pastures. The flame has burned all the trees of the field. Verse 20. The beasts of the field also crap you, for the water brooks are dried up. 
the water has devoured the open, the fire has devoured the open pastures. So what's happening now is now that the, the locusts have eaten everything, you can't plant anything and have it grow because now there's no water, there's no rain to make anything grow. So once everything's eaten up, guess what? You're going to plant everything in just dry ground. And you know as well as I do, it takes water on the seeds in order for it to grow. So this is the devastation that's happening to the children of Israel. And after we see this devastation that comes in the first chapter between the locusts and the drought, then what happens is this. Then in chapter 2, there's this massive army coming from the north. And as this army comes from the north, look at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, like the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And so we see this massive army that's coming before them. And so when it comes to this, in verse 6 of chapter 2, it says this, Before them the people writhe in pain, all the faces are drained of color. They're terrified of the people. In verse 10, it says, The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish in their brightness. The Lord gives his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And now we see here. That this is the way that the Lord is declaring that, that first you're going to have this massive, massive consummation, the consuming of everything that you've planted because the locusts come, then the drought comes, and after that, the army is going to come and take you captive. Now, what's the first thing that you want to do if you have an army come? You want to shelter yourself in. The army's going to lay siege. But what happens is what? You have to have food and water in order to withstand the siege. Do you understand? He's saying there's no hope with anything that you can do. First, you're going to be starving. Then there's going to be a drought. And then you're going to have this army. There's nothing you can do to prevent the army. You can't lock yourselves in. Nothing's going to work. And so through this point of devastation that God is declaring to the nation... Midway into chapter 2, in verse 21, God makes this statement of restoration. Luke 2.21 says, Fear not, O Lamb, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done a marvelous thing. In verse 25, he makes this declaration, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, and the crawling locust, and the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You shall eat in plenty, verse 26, and be satisfied. And the praise, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. 
and my people shall never be put to shame. And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. So God is saying there's going to be the locusts, there's going to be the drought, there's going to be the army, but he says this, but when you turn, when you turn to me with your heart, when you turn to me with everything that you, you, you have, he says in verse 1, you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear what the world's going to bring. And, and the reason why is because at the end of verse 27, he says, I'm with you. I'm in the midst of you. And this is my promise. And so initially what God does is he says, okay, understand all this is going to come, but what I'm going to do is this, is I'm going to be in your presence and I'm going to bless you with provision. But then God goes a step further in verse 28 through 32 and says, not only am I going to bless you with the provisions, but I'm going to bless you with a partnership. I'm going to bless you with a relationship. I'm going to bless you with intimacy. And this is where the prophetic word comes. In verse 28, it should come to pass afterwards. I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And then in verse 32, and whoever call, and it shall come to pass. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance. It's amazing to see here that, that, that God is, is trying to tell the children of Israel, listen, I understand what's going to happen to you, but I am going to bring you back. I'm going to provide for you. Now, when it comes to chapter 3, Understand, we're now trying to figure out where in this whole area Joel's prophecy lies to what Peter is declaring here on Pentecost. In chapter 3 of Joel, he makes this statement in verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time that I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. And I'll also gather the nations. So God says, I'm going to bring my people back. So understand that within this timeline, what does it mean? The people have now been scattered. The people have been scattered. Now for how long? Well, it's interesting that in verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 3, it speaks of something unique where it kind of gives us a perspective of a timeline. In verse 5, it says, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions speaks of what? Babylon. Babylon came and took all the articles from the temple and brought it to Babylon. Verse 6 makes this statement. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks. Now you're speaking of Alexander the Great that you may remove them afar from their borders. So now we're looking at this prophetic word midway into Daniel's prophecies. Remember, he talked about Babylon first coming in, being a world-conquering power. After that, the Medo-Persian government coming, conquering Babylon, becoming this world power. And then the Greeks coming and conquering the Medo-Persians, with Alexander the Great becoming a world-conquering power. And then Rome. Now, Rome itself is never conquered. Rome itself just collapses among itself because of its sin and debauchery. 
but eventually Rome will be springing back up into the end times. So what I want you to see is that within this prophecy that Joel is speaking, that you're looking at one of two things. That either this is just prior to the Babylonian captivity where he's saying, listen, I'm going to bring you back. There's going to be a remnant. I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to punish Babylon. I'm going to punish the, the nations that have taken you. So there's a possibility because Joel is one of these unique books and it doesn't give an exact timeline. There's a possibility that he's writing just prior to the Babylonian captivity and the Babylon is the army that's coming or he's writing after the Babylonian captivity and then somewhere in the mixture during the time of the, the Grecian captivity and the Roman captivity where he's going to bring his people back. If that's the case, it's the, the post-exilic where they were exiled prophetic word. Now, why is that important? What happens is this. If it is dealing with this army being Babylon, then we recognize that his prophetic word that there was already a work that he said, I'm going to bring you back and there's already going to be a pouring out of my spirit that happened then. If not, we see that this movement right now at Pentecost and Acts is the first movement of this prophetic word. Why is that important? Well, because this is the precursor to what's about to happen. So we recognize then that what the army is going to be, we see it as, as Armageddon. This is where Jesus is going to come back there in Revelation. And you're going to see those signs that, that you know, Peter spoke about with the, 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 the moon being blood and, and those things. So when it comes here, I want you to recognize where this timeline is. Now what we're going to do is this. We are going to look at Joel as if it happened after all the exile. So I'm going to look at Joel with that army being Armageddon. It's going to be the army coming from the north. And so with that, if you look to that prospect, it's either, you know, if, if you look to Babylon, this is the, the mid part of the same prophecy. It still changes nothing to what God is saying. It just changes the, from the pre to the mid but if it is not that area where it's Babylon, but it's the Armageddon army, what happens is this. This is the beginning of what Peter says, these are the last days. It's important to understand where, where Peter makes this statement. And then look at our text where we are. He says in verse 17, as he quotes from Joel and this prophecy, it shall come to pass in the last Days, The last days. The last days in scripture really point out this. It points out the days of the Messiah. When Jesus comes on the scene, both as the lamb and as the lion, he comes as the, 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 the one who is, is born as a child that's still considered the last days. He comes to that who's going to redeem you know, us. That's still the last days. And then when he comes the second time to rule and reign, that's still the last days. 
So understand that if you're looking at this prophetic word, he says it shall come to pass in the last days. That would be the events surrounding the Messiah. That's his first and second coming. So get that locked into your time frame as we continue with this prophetic word. Because both events of the Messiah coming are spoken in as scripture as the last days. So he says this, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Now, if God is the one who says it, what do you do? Check it off. It's going to happen. It's not maybe it's going to happen. No, we've already looked at the prophetic word. God says, who can proclaim as I do? I'm going to say it. It is going to come to pass. And when it comes to pass, it's going to prove to you, one, that I exist. It's going to prove to you, one, that I'm an authority. And it's going to prove to you, three, two, that I'm an authority. And then three, that I have a plan not only for the world, but I have a plan for you as well. This is an amazing thing when it comes to prophecy. And we looked at that in depth last week, but what we're seeing here is this, that he says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I shall pour out my spirit. And he says this on all flesh. He talks about the sons, the daughters prophesying. He talks about the young men seeing visions. He talks about the old men dreaming dreams. And this is a good way to decide how old you are. If you're seeing visions, you're young. If you're dreaming dreams, you're old. You just know it. I'm not making up a scripture here. So if you're just dreaming dreams, you're old. I'm not saying it. The Holy Spirit is. And so with this, he then goes on and says, And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. This statement here is not just a generic statement. Do you understand the enormity of what Peter is, a, is trying to declare here as far as sons and daughters and young men and old men and men servants and maidservants? That when you looked in Scripture, and what I want to do is I want to give you just a couple of passages. I will read them to you. I will turn there. I'm much faster. My Bible's already marked. But you can jot them down. If you're fast, you can turn there and you can look it up. But the first is found in actually in, in Genesis chapter 41 in verse 38. It makes a statement as far as Joseph. And I want you to see something unique with Joseph. It says, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh recognizes that the Spirit of God is in Joseph, that he's able to what? Not just dream dreams, but interpret dreams and then understand how to get Pharaoh out of the mess that's about to happen. He has the Spirit of God. When we went through the book of Exodus, when we were in chapter 31, in the first three verses, we ran into a man by the name of Bezalel. If you remember, it says in Exodus 31, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, 
in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design these artistic works to work in gold, silver, and bronze and the cutting of jewels. Absolutely amazing to see here that what God is saying that his spirit would rest upon certain leaders. His spirit would be placed upon these leaders and not just normal folk. You understand that only those who were called by God in places of leadership could receive the Holy Spirit. There, in the book of Numbers, we see that so amazingly, this man by the name of Joshua, who eventually has his own historical book in the scriptures, in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Absolutely amazing to see that God uses these leaders as men in whom he then pours out his spirit and allows the spirit to be in them and on them. Once you get into the book of Judges, it's absolutely crazy that you see over and over in the book of Judges that, that in there in, in uh, um, Judges 3.10, Othniel <coughs> receives the spirit. I want to read to you from Judges 6. Um, verse 34, because at this point we see here where Gideon, who's also one of the judges, says, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abrazites gathered behind him. So Gideon also, along with Othniel and of course Samson and Saul and David, all these leaders would amazingly receive the Spirit of God. And so when we're looking at this, I want you to understand that there were very few people in all the Scripture. There's thousands and thousands and millions of people that are there. And literally you have less than, you know, two hands worth, fingers worth. So you don't have that many people that actually have the Spirit of God. And now what God says is this. Now through the work of Jesus Christ, now through the redemption of mankind, now he changes it to just a few to where he says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. And just in case you're wondering, well, what does that mean? It means your sons and your daughters. Now, now, I don't know what you mean. I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, my sons, my daughters, they're special. They're better than all the other ones. And, and if you've ever seen a young parent, it's like, oh, look, look at how fast they are. They're already walking. Look at how fast they're already talking. They, they, said, they said mama. They said dada already. And it's like, my child's amazing. Like, Yes, they all are. And, and what happens is we, we think they're amazing, but then when you look to somebody else's child and you realize what? They don't match up to mine. I mean, I, I look at other grandchildren. I, these are amazing grandchildren, but I, can't, I hate to say it. They just don't match up to mine. Mine is amazing. But what God does is this. He doesn't say I'm going to just pour it out on just, just certain ones. He says, 
on all sons and all daughters, mm. on all young men and all old men. And you may think, it's the young guys that need it. He said, I need it to the old guys too. And then he says this, on my men servants and on my maid servants. Mm. Not the who's who, not, not, not the look at these, not the leaders and the judges and the kings and the priests, but nobody's and everybody's. And I love what God does about saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And keep in mind that there are 120 that were in this upper room. And within this upper room, they were there waiting on the Lord. And God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And just in case you would look and say, but they're not priests. They're not kings. They're not judges. Who are they? <laughs> Don't worry. They are sons and daughters. They are men servants and they are maid servants. They are all worthy in the eyes of God and they are, are willing and open to receiving this gift because they've come into this right relationship. They've waited on the Lord. They called on the name of the Lord. They received the Holy Spirit. And I think it's so important to recognize here that, that when it comes to this pouring out of the Spirit, that now it refers to what? Layman, layman, everyday, ordinary people receiving the filling of the Spirit. Now, why is that important? It's important because this, the work of the church, I don't know if you know this, but there's this mindset that comes, and I'm grateful that that. that at least at Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee, we don't have this mindset. If it's in someone, we, we knock it out of them quickly because there's this mindset that the, the work of the ministry is done through the leadership of the ministry. That it's the work of the pastor, it's the work of the deacons, and they're the ones who do everything. And you guys can come alongside and assist periodically to when God enables you or calls you and you want to serve but understand that the working of the church, the working of the church is what? Sons, daughters, young men, old men, men servants, maid servants, average folk. Not, not, not the who's who. Now keep in mind that he does have pastors, teachers. He does have those things. Now remember when we were looking last week and we quoted from Ephesians chapter 4. And there's two verses to be very aware of in Ephesians chapter 4. In verses 11 and 12, it makes this statement. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, we looked at this as far as the, the ministries of the church. And one of those, of course, was prophets. We looked at that last week. But God gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you understand who the workers in the church are? All of us. They're all of us. No one is an exception. It is literally not the who's who that does the labors in the church, the labors for the Lord. 
It's the, who's that? And I love the fact that this is what God does and what Peter is now acknowledging. You guys have to understand that there's a work that's going to go on and this work is your work, not my work. Not, not, not me and, and, and John and James and, and not, not, not just 120 that are here. It's your work as well. God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then he names the who's that. <laughs> Not the who's who. Old Testament, it's the who's who. It's I'm going to put up my spirit upon Joseph. Now I'm going to put my spirit upon, upon Bezalel. And he's going to make these beautiful things for me in the temple. I'm going to pour my spirit upon Joshua, and upon Othniel, and upon Gideon, upon Samson, and David, and Saul. And then the who's who. And then the who's that? Do you understand that they're not the names anymore? Because they would be saying, who's Peter? Now we understand Peter. He says, no, not, not just me. Not just John. Not just the leaders. Not the 120 that are here. But on anyone, I'm going to pour my spirit upon everyone. And I love the fact that here we recognize that the laymen are not just called to do certain events in the church. Do you know that? That's not your role. Your role, according to Scripture, is to do this, to continue to edify and build up the body. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. It's your job to lift one another up. It's your job to meet one another when we need to, 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 to have counsel or, or to have someone meet with you or to pray over you. It's our job to go to one another as iron sharpens iron. It's the work of the ministry. And this is powerful and beautiful. And this is the fulfillment of a prophetic word. This is what he said. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, he's going to mention there's prophecy that comes with this, and, and that's true. There is going to be the, the speaking forth of the word of God, and, and so all of us can declare this is God's word, this is God's word, this is God's word. And if you really want to know, well, what word should I say? What word should I speak? Well, he, he gives you an answer in verse 21. It shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great word to give. If you call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. And so if you're looking at what kind of word do I give, then, 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 then take a look at what he declares is a perfect word. Because when it comes to this prophetic word, the one thing that we know, that if this is the last days and the time of the Messiah, we understand that he's already come the first time, He's now ascended. They know what? He's coming back. This is, these are last days already. And so it's come to pass in this time frame of the events within the Messiah that he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. This is the fulfillment of the prophetic word. Now, of the prophecy, keep in mind that there's going to be an outpouring because the 120... At this point, according to verse 11 of chapter 2, said what? There were Cretans, there were Arabs. We heard them speaking 
in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They're hearing what God has done and what God has done and what God has done and what God has done. You want to share something amazing? We call this in Christendom our testimony. Share what God has done. And let me give you a little bit of advice. If your testimony is over 24 hours old, update it. <laughs> Some of us have it. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, 20 years ago, it's amazing. Me and God is like, all right, 20 years ago, what, what happened between then and now? Your, 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 your testimony should always be up to date. 20 years ago, he did this. 10 years ago, he did this. Last year, he did this. Yesterday, he did this. Today, he's doing this. And I think it's important to recognize you share the amazing things that God has done. And it's so incredible to recognize that we have this ability, we have this power to proclaim what God has done. And so there's this prophetic word. This, now remember, we talked about the prophetic word being two things last week. There's the for-speaking, saying things in advance before it happens, the F-O-R-E, for-speaking of the word of God, saying this is going to happen, Jesus is going to come back, you know, um, there's going to be another temple made. These are all the, the, the for-speaking, saying things in advance, there's going to be an Antichrist, there's going to be Armageddon. Jesus is going to come on a white horse with ten thousands of his saints, and so we're going to be right along behind him. That's the for speaking, but there's also the fourth speaking, which is thus says the Lord, and you're declaring scripture. And when you declare scripture, amazingly, what we do is we say, This is God, this is his word. And you're forth speaking the word of God. That's also prophetic, because sometimes that word could be for now. Sometimes it could be for tomorrow, sometimes next week, sometimes next year, sometimes it's down the road. But it, it, it's, it's forth speaking, the word is also prophecy. And so he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and you guys are all going to be declaring the things of God. This is amazing to see that this is a fulfillment. Now, there is going to be another time where in the book of Revelation... There is going to be what's known as the 144,000. The God is going to put his spirit. They are going to be 12,000 from each of 12 tribes of Israel. And they are going to be speaking forth the word of God. And they are going to be bringing many into a right relationship. That they are going to be proclaiming whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's going to be this massive amount of people that, from Israel and others that will be saved through their ministries. And so what happens is you have this near fulfillment. Of course, you're going to have this future fulfillment. This is a partial fulfillment. There at the end, there's going to be the complete fulfillment. And I love the fact that what we recognize is this, that when we see this fulfillment, now he says there in verse 19 and 20, I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor, smoke, sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, this is speaking specifically of his coming back the second time. This is not yet to be fulfilled, which you understand. So that's why we're, we're talking about we're in a mid-fulfillment of this prophetic word, 
Part of it is being fulfilled. Part of it is yet to be fulfilled. Now when Jesus does come, that's complete fulfillment. And now what happens is this. It's amazing how God can take certain prophetic words that to us would seem absolutely random and disconnected and maybe separated. He says, no, these two are right now together. When it comes to verse 21, and he makes a statement, whoever it should come to pass, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It shall come to pass. This part of Joel's prophecy is progressive, it's constant, it's ongoing. In other words, it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You understand? It's constant. It's progressive. That generation after generation, person after person, whoever calls. You understand? It's one of these things that, that I don't know if you ever thought, wow, if... if that God would have put my name in the scripture like he put Lowell's name in the scripture. Because remember now, it says, uh, uh, never mind. So anyways, <laughs> we wonder sometimes, am I there? Can he put my name in it? If he had my name, am I mistaken? Maybe he's talking about another Lowell somewhere, you know? And, but when you look to this, he says, whoever. You understand that, that, that you like, I fit into that category of the whoever's. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love the fact that, that this is just as true in Joel's time as it is here on Pentecost. And it's just as true to us who will um read this now and respond to it now as those who will witness the, the, um, the signs in the, the, the heavens where the blood and the fire and the vapor and the smoke. It's just as true in Joel's time as it is to Pentecost time as it's true in our times that will be when Jesus comes back. Do you understand how this is a progressive revelation and it is a constant ongoing fulfillment of the prophecy Whoever is all-encompassing. There's no one that is left out. And so if you think, well, I don't know if he would allow me to because of my past. It doesn't say who's ever good. It just says whoever calls. Do you understand? He doesn't, he doesn't put a disclaimer on the whoever's are. Whoever's a good enough person can call on my name and I'll say them. Whoever hasn't committed this sin... He doesn't do that. He just says, whoever calls. I love the fact that he puts it absolutely as a blanket statement as anyone who's ever existed can find themselves under this category of whoever. This is a beautiful thing that Peter's doing because I don't care where you're from. I don't care your class. I don't care anything about you, but I can tell you this, that if you... Call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And this is wonderful when, when people say, I don't know if I can. Take into this passage. <laughs> it's a prophetic word. God wants you to know. And you can speak forth this word. It's so amazing that when we recognize this, whoever calls, whoever. But then it says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. We've talked about this. 
When, when you're calling on the name, you're calling on what? Name in Scripture is synonymous to character. You're calling on his character. You're calling on, on a character of God that is like, well, I don't know exactly what your character is. I don't know whether your character is, 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 is good or is it bad. And if you want to know God's character, remember, we've already read it there in Joel chapter 2, where the <coughs> Lord says in, in verse 12, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He doesn't want to see you go down the wrong road. He wants to see you with him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when we recognize this truth, I think it's so important when, when you're calling on his character, you're trusting in him, that he is a God of grace. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. At the same time, he is a God of holy, and he's truth, and he's justice. Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid. So what does he do? He puts our sin on Jesus Christ, and he deals with it so that we don't have to. He takes our sin, puts it upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ takes it upon the cross. And then instead, he gives to us the very righteousness of God. An incredible swap. But I love the fact is this, that he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, when you call on his character, you're putting your trust in him. And so we see this, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Now this term calls is unique too because he says whoever calls. When, when you're saying this call, keep in mind that what it is, it's, it's crying out to God. It's communing with God. It's putting your trust in him. This is a call to prayer. This is a call as far as confessions, talking with God. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're, you're declaring something, you're speaking something, you're crying out something, you're, you're, you're claiming something. And I think it's so important that, that when you're calling out in the, to the Lord, you're, 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 you're saying, I'm crying out to you, God. I'm confessing that I'm not worthy. I'm confessing that you are good. I'm confessing that you made a statement in your word that if I call upon you, I'll be saved. I love the fact that when you ask Jesus into your heart, you say, Jesus, come into my heart. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not worthy, but, but you aren't seeing me in my unworthy state. You're seeing me in a state that you're gonna make me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Be my king, be my God, be my savior. Take over my life that I've wrecked and make it yours. You understand? That's calling. That's praying. That's communing with God. And it's important. You have to call on the name of the Lord. It's not just, just saying Jesus, Jesus. There's a lot, but, but it's accepting him. Call on him. Receive him. Claim him. Confess to him. Commune with him. Ask him into your heart. And this is such a beautiful thing that Peter is making the statement. He says, whoever, all-encompassing, calls, makes this declaration with their heart and their mouth on the very character of God that he is merciful and gracious, <coughs> it says this, shall be saved. This is amazing that you're calling on the very character of what? Of the Lord. 
Now keep in mind that in this, the, the, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is where we understand it's the YHVH. It's the very name of God. It's his character. Some people call it Yahweh. Some people call it Jehovah. But I want you to understand that when he says you're calling on the name of the Lord, you're not just calling on God. Do you understand? Not, you're not Mother Nature. It's not the God of your making. It's not the God of, of your own understanding. It's the God of Scripture. It's the God of Israel. It's the God who literally says, I created the heavens and the earth, and I created man. Man fell and so man is separated from me because it's my declaration. The day that you eat of that fruit, Adam, you shall die and all your descendants are going to have a sin nature. They're going to be separated from me too. But don't worry, I'm going to make a plan. I've made the plan from the beginning. The enemy is going to basically crush his heel or bruise his heel, but he'll crush the enemy's head or bruise his head. There's going to be a mortal wound to the Savior, but the enemy will be defeated. And I love the fact that God said, I made this plan all the way back in Genesis 3. And I just progressively gave you more and more information as we went through the scripture. When you call on the name of the Lord, you understand that you have to declare it's God. And this is so important because Jesus said what? When Thomas said, show us the Father. If you see me, You've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. When you're calling on God, you have to accept his plan. Jesus said this. He said, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You, you can't come through Buddha. You can't come through Confucius. You can't come through Kadit. You can't come through being a Boy Scout or Eagle Scout or a Girl Scout or, or just doing all these things that you can't. You can't even be a Marine and get to heaven. You have to literally, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. No amount of good deeds will do it. You can't do that. You have to come through him. And it's so important to recognize this. Whoever, all-encompassing, calls the praying, the communing, the talking, the, the asking God on the name, recognizing his character as mercy and grace and, and just and truth of the name of the Lord. It's only God. He's the only way to come. You can't come through another way. You can't come through works. You have to come through him and his character and his plan. And it says this, they shall be saved. Let me explain that to you. Salvation is a guarantee. Man, I love Peter. I love that he, he just gets my blood going. This, this, this evangelistic message is a message for everyone. The Spirit is going to come upon everyone. And we're able to, every one of us are able to proclaim this incredible Spirit-filled prophetic message that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You understand? He can use you. He wants to use you. He's going to use you. And, and I think it's so important to recognize that this is now the crux of the entire message that Peter is going to be declaring. And so we set this foundation to Peter when they say, listen, you guys are drunk. So we're not drunk. This is what Joel spoke of. The Spirit has now been poured out. 
And it's, it's not upon measure. It's not to the who's who. It's on all flesh. And as God has poured it upon it, there's sons, there's daughters, there's young men, there's old men. There's not a distinction. There's men servants and there's maid servants. You understand? No distinction. You and I fit into so many of those categories. And he says, and I poured out my spirit. And within this spirit that you are going to be declaring the word of God, the word of God that you need to declare is this, that there is eternal life Amen. if you want it. There's eternal life if you ask for it. But you have to ask for it because you have to call on the name of the Lord. You have to literally recognize his word, recognize his truth, proclaim that truth, Ask that truth, and then when you recognize it, when you proclaim it, when you ask it, you have salvation. And this is a message I think is just so important to recognize. This is it, Lord. This is what I want to be a part of. And now what he's going to do is, as we start next week, he's going to just start launching into this gospel message that the Spirit gives him, and then through that, he's actually going to make two more prophetic quotes. As, as he, he, he quotes from Psalm 16, he quotes from Psalm 110, more prophecy. And you're like, wow, more prophecy. I've been hoping for more prophecy. <laughs> and, and, but you're going to see how these prophetic words are fulfilled, what? In the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. And this is where it, it's going to make more and more clarity to where you and I recognize this is what God through his spirit is wanting us today to know this is the foundation of the church that Jesus Christ has birthed through his death on the cross and as a foundation this is what you and I will build upon and this is where you and I recognize oh my goodness this is the church and it's not just simply Pastor Lowell's job to do the evangelism. Mm -hmm. The Spirit's been poured upon me. Even if I want to demote myself to say the very least that I am is a manservant or a maidservant, it's upon all flesh. And even the lowest can proclaim something absolutely amazing. And know this, that the lowest can proclaim to the greatest. Mm -hmm. There's an incredible passage, and I want to just kind of share it to you just so that you begin to grasp the, the, the truth of what this is. That there in the Old Testament, and I want to start reading to you in the, 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 the book of, of, of um, Kings, and it, it makes this declaration. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, I just want to read to you the the first verse, just in case you think, I don't know if God can really use nobodies because I'm so low and everyone else is so high, I don't really think he can use me. So I want to close with this. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, it makes a statement. Now, now you and I, we read it differently, but to those who are here are going to scratch their yarmulkes and wonder who in the world is this because it opens up and Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. Now, now, if you've never heard of Elijah the Tishbite, up until this point, he was what? 
He was Elijah from Tishbah. And you're like, where in the world is Tishbah? Nobody knows. See, I, I came from this little podunk town called Bolus. And you're like, Bolus? Where's Bolus? Nobody knows. It's so tiny. The town next to us had a sign, population 23, county dogs and cats. It's literally set on the sign. I think the population fluxed every spring. But, but understand that Elijah is a nobody from nowhere. He, he's a nothing. And notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, Oh my goodness, he goes to the king of Israel. He goes to the king of the northern tribes and he says to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives. And keep in mind that the as is not actually there in the Hebrew. The as in your Bible should be italics. It should, he just says, The Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There should be no doer reign these years except at my word. Boom! You think, that's amazing. And nobody from nowhere goes before a king and proclaims the word of the Lord. Why? Because he had the spirit of God. You know he had the spirit. Why? Because when Elisha came by, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Absolutely amazing to recognize that if you think I'm a nobody, how can I proclaim to a somebody, recognize that God sees everybody as what? Sinners. And they need salvation. And so what you are is this. You're one sinner who's saved, approaching another sinner who's not. And you're declaring to them in the same grace that you have received grace and forgiveness. You're declaring to them that same gift. And I think it's so important to recognize that this should be our heart. This should be our proclamation. That you and I, who can be nobodies, can proclaim to kings and presidents the truth of whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you ask God for forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, you ask him into your heart, you will have eternal life with God. An incredible promise. This is the foundation of the prophecy. This is the foundation of the church. May we take that as the church as I've now equipped you for the work of the ministry. You know the message. You have the Spirit. Let's go forth and declare these things. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this passage, so grateful for this prophetic word. Only you, Lord, only you would bring so much truth that we can barely contain it here, Lord. What an incredible word, Peter, that you would just make the statement that it's not a who's who, but it's anybody, Lord, that you're going to pour your Spirit upon all flesh. And as we receive that outpouring of your spirit, the empowering from on high, we can proclaim boldly your word. We can proclaim that there is salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. And we can bring people into a sinner's prayer. And we can bring them into praying to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, that they can have salvation guaranteed. Draw us to that truth. Knit us to that hope. Call us to that ministry. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.